Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, we just want to welcome you to the Kelly family and let you know that we exist to help you, your organization, and your team grow. So if you have a question you're wrestling with, this is definitely the time to ask because here in a few short weeks, we are going to do a live coaching webinar uh, with our guests that we're in the middle of a series on, uh, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson. And we are going to answer your questions in real time. So bring those. If you want to email those first, go for it. If you want to bring them to the live event, stick around. More details for that will follow. But this is the series to really start thinking about what questions you have. Or if you know of an individual who make a great guest for our show, you can do either of these things and get a hold of us by sending us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I.edu. Again, ROI pod, R-O-I-P-O-D at I-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, we are in part three of a four-part series uh, all about the idea of coaching from how to coach, who to coach, when to coach, everything we can muster in within four parts on coaching. We're doing it right here. Uh, So if you haven't jumped on board, go back and listen to part one and two because everything builds upon itself. Um, So without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. Again, bringing back Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, Kelly School of Business uh, Leadership Coaches. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. So we kicked off the last two weeks uh, on the idea of the coach, the personality traits, you know, what we need to do as coaches to develop ourselves so that we can begin to build relationships with those on our teams, um, whether we're managing them or we're in a mentor-mentee uh, kind of relationship. So, uh, you know, Ray, kind of bring us up to speed and set the stage for uh, the idea of the coaching relationship today. Sure, Matt. Um, you know, as we started, we, we want to talk about what's the coaching ecosystem. And we assume most people listening into this podcast might be leaders of others or managers that, that are that would like to bring coaching into the repertoire of leadership tools that they have. And we think that's wonderful. We're we're all for the democratization of coaching skills and and really using it on an everyday basis. The first podcast focused on the coach is, is one of the most important pieces Eric and I both preach when we teach this because it is about understanding yourself and and what are you bringing to the table, your own body biases and your own skills and, and everything else that goes into that. And then we focused on the coachee. What, what is it that makes a coachee ready? How do you work with coachees, et cetera? The, the third component that I, we think is important as we deconstruct this is the coaching relationship. And I would say oftentimes this gets the short shrift because it's, it's not a person, i.e. the coach or the coachee, and it's not a tangible thing like sometimes the coaching process is that we'll talk about last. But this relationship exists. If you think about any manager, employee, friend to friend, right? Spouse, partner type relationship. You always have two people and you have this thing outside of them, which is what is this relationship between them? And we can think about this within the role that we play in this specific relationship. So there's a qualifier before it, coaching relationship. So that allows us to focus in on what is the quality of that relationship within a coaching engagement, right? From a boss and an employee or an executive coach and a client, whatever it is, that relationship exists. And if you think about your various 
relationships that you have in life across the friends that you have or your, your work partners or whomever, you probably have different qualities of relationship, right? And you have a sense of that. The other person has a sense of that. And we want to be conscious of that within the coaching dynamic because it will influence the impact of the coaching. If we don't have a strong coaching relationship, the coaching effectiveness will not be as strong as it possibly can. It's not a rational thing. It is there, there could be a lack of trust. There could be a lack of engagement. There could be a lack of vulnerability on both sides. There could be a lack of, you know, bringing your full self to work. All of those things could have an influence on the, the relationship itself between the coach and the coachee. So focusing in on it and thinking about it from a coach's perspective, what can I do to really enhance and build the quality of this relationship is worth exploring for anyone who wants to become a better coach. So how can I, if I'm going to coach somebody, work to specifically focus in on the quality of the dynamic between me and another person? And that's really the heart of what we're talking about. Which can be very frustrating because, you know, for a lot of us, especially in leadership, you know, we want numbers, we want something that's measurable, we want something that's defined it's because then we can make concrete decisions that we can with confidence, you know, but this seems like it's one of those things that lives in that qualitative field where it's, you know, it's, it's felt or it's unfelt, I think was one of the things that you said early on that a relationship, it, you, it's not, you can't really measure. I mean, you can remeasure how you feel and you kind of bring it in, but you know, it's, it's very felt. You know, it's, it's one of those things like you were saying, you know, so go into the idea of, you know, understanding like when you can feel it, you know, what is that, what is that like when your relationship is working and it's felt or it's not working? Well, I'll tell you, I I love the way you put that, Matt and Ray, of course, Um, before you can even feel it, I think there's a couple things we got to get out of the way. And the first is the relationship is not, it's not a given, like it's not an assumption, Right. And I think that um, that's important because I think a lot of leaders, right, sort of head into a leadership position and assume that they can just step in because of hierarchy or the titles that exist or the power system. Um, You certainly, if you are stepping into a leadership role, I mean, depending on how your organization is structured, you might have the right to impose your will on people, but to, to actually craft a coaching relationship begins by acknowledging that you can't just assume that it's something that takes place. So to your question, um, when you first start as a coach, what you probably feel is if you're pay, if you're paying attention is you feel some uncertainty, you feel some trepidation the people who are now reporting to you, um, they're, they're as if anything, they're, they're curious and they're maybe cautious about like, who is this person and why should I trust this person and how much do I tell this person? And so I think, you know, you should begin by acknowledging like, Hey, some of you out there are probably wondering what my leadership style is like. So let me tell you, I'm here to help you get better, but I'm also hoping to bring a coaching presence to the workplace. That's something I want to earn with all of you. And I want to honor this by talking about it. Um, and I think that's a great place to get it started, right? To, to say, you know, and, and then the, I would argue one of the biggest thing, the two, I guess I'll go with two, the two biggest things that you can begin to construct that relationship is to, to have a conversation about the confidentiality of what you're going to be doing, you know, to be able to tell your people like, when we have conversations, there are things you can share with me that won't leave this relationship. But as your leader, there might be 
certain things that come from market research studies, like we talked about before, facts of your job, that I, I'm obligated to report. So let me delineate between what's confidential versus what's not. And then let me start by actually listening more than I speak. And if you can act that way and not just talk that way, you'll begin to notice some things like vulnerability and, and some elements of closeness will begin to creep into the relationship in place of some of the cautiousness and you should be able to feel a shift that comes along with that. That's kind of my perspective on that. I, think. It, I mean, building on what Eric said, I think sometimes the best examples come from what not to do, right? And anyone familiar with Michael Scott in the office, if you've seen that old TV series, I mean, Michael Scott was the antithesis of this. He he made assumptions on what all his relationships were, right? Every He made the assumption everybody loved him because he was the boss. And then he was always guilty of not listening or needing about 15 times to listen correctly. And I think those two things, really, if you could put your assumptions aside, recognize the qualifier of the relationship. Like we talked about, it is a coaching relationship. So what Eric said in terms of delineating the conversations is really important, right? And then make sure you are listening with intent around what is it. And we go back to the coach and the coachee, what's the dynamic? We're, we're trusting the process that the coachee is creative, resourceful, and whole and can solve their own problems. So I'm listening for that. I'm not listening to provide them solutions. It's a different type and quality of relationship that I'm really setting up as a dynamic between two people. You know, and you guys brought up this point of the idea of the building of trust. You know, I mean, obviously a relationship needs to start with this trusting, like you got my back, I got your back. Like, you know, I know that you're looking out for my best, best interest and not just your, you know, next corporate move, you know, as you're moving up the pipeline, let's say, you know, but there are times when let's say an organizational leader jumps into a new role, gets promoted, gets, you know, that manager job and, at times there could be many other people in that team, you know, so there's sometimes you could be entering in with uh, resentment. You could be entering in a position with, you know, people already not really trusting you, or maybe you've just done something that, you know, rub people the wrong way. So uh, talk about, you know, how do organizational leaders in this process begin to like just rebuild or reestablish a sense of trust when it's lost because, you know, hard to gain, but easy to lose is always the saying, you know, when we bring trust in the conversation, how do organizational leaders kind of work through that to uh, reestablish that? Look, you know, I am looking out for you. I do care about your interests and I want to rebuild this relationship. Yeah. I, I, I think that one, I mean, you kind of went to the, the toughest challenge first, right? How do you rebuild trust? I think there's a, there's a big enough challenge in just establishing trust from a neutral point. Right. And, 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 tr and one of the reasons trust is tricky, just to make sure we cover this, is there within a hierarchy, within most organizational relationships, there's a natural sense of deference. Like if you go to the highest person in the organization, all their jokes become funny. They're really not that funny. Right. But people laugh at their jokes because there's this sense of deference. And we have that all the way down. Right. Or people, if I think about the construct with my boss, I think about a relationship where there's a bit of deference to their point of view. And I want to get along because I have certain obligations to the organization, I have aspirations, et cetera. Building trust in a coaching relationship requires us to acknowledge that deference. Hey, I don't want you to naturally defer to me in these conversations if we're trying to go off of your agenda and figure out what's best for you in this. So we have to, we have to acknowledge that to the qualitative sense. We have to talk about it and say, yeah, it is a dynamic in other components of our relationship, but we got to recognize that up front. I think rebuilding trust requires a whole separate 
you know, acknowledgement of why was the trust broken? What was it that was there in a deeper level of conversation that you're not, you're probably not ready to get into a coaching relationship if you're at a place where you've got to rebuild trust. That's probably step one. And that probably will take more time than a single meeting or any like one week period that you have. You probably have to, you know, do what you say you're going to do with this person so that they can learn to trust you again. And then you're probably ready for a deeper coaching engagement. I'd be interested in what Eric has to say on this as well. Oh, I, I completely agree with all of that. I think um, what I'll add to it is I think there's a natural default tendency for leaders to step into a position and feel like it's their job to prove that they were the right person for the role, right? And so if you're hired into a team where maybe the previous manager was beloved, or if you're hired into a team where somebody on the team was maybe competing with you for the role, you know, there are some um, tensions and maybe even resentments to your question that exist there. And I think the natural default tendency is then for the, the manager almost to fall too hard onto advice mode and really lean into the competencies and flex the muscles and be like, I'm, you know, let me show everybody how good I can be. And, and that doesn't, it doesn't, it honestly doesn't work. I mean, it, people might say, wow, you know, they really are smart, but it, it's not really getting you off to a good point to the qualifier that we keep talking about here to walk into that with more of a coaching mindset and to build a coaching relationship is to walk in and acknowledge the things that everybody feels right to notice Hey, I notice, you know, you, Matt, we're up for this job. You know what? What I've heard about you is that you're phenomenal. You know, um, I'm sure in your position, you're feeling a little miffed that you didn't get this role. And you might even be directing some of that resentment towards me. And you know what? I get it. That makes sense. I notice those things. I'll actually be vulnerable too. You know, I'll tell you, I'm a little concerned <laughs> um, because I have a lot of respect for you and a lot of respect for your reputation. And I'm worried that I, I might not get the best out of you because, you know, you, because, or, or you might be judging me a little harshly. Um, so can we talk about that? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what you want in this situation. Can we talk about it? Right? Like one of the great coaching skills is to notice what's being felt in a relationship. And I think when you step in and you acknowledge some of those things, you can really build that relationship using those skills and then I also think one of the great ways you can prove that you're a great leader is to listen. When well, we're going to keep coming back to that, to take the time and ask the team, what do you expect of me? What do you want of me? What needs to be fixed here? What are your ideas to say, hey, I'm not coming in here as the expert. I'm coming in here to lead this team to get the best out of it. But and to do that, I have to get your ideas on the table. And I think those are are. The, the tools that help build strong relationships and come more from a coaching perspective than just trying to flex your competent driven leadership. You know, and it sounds like, you know, there's such a, such a freedom in calling it out. It's not just noticing what's felt, but just calling it out and just being open with your team about like, Hey, you know, I feel this, you know, am I, am I crazy for feeling this way? Like, is it just me or, or is this something that's really felt? I mean, it does seem like there's a lot of freedom that comes to that, or at least a lot of, 
like take a breath of fresh air. That's like, oh, he notices it too. All right, cool. Let's have this conversation. You know, I want to I want to swap a little bit. You know, switch sides. You know, we've been talking about from like a management's perspective or from a coaching perspective. But obviously, like you said, Eric, a relationship is two people. You know, it's not just one person top down. Like it it's, it does take two. So on the other side of that, you have the people who are being coached, the coaches, as we mentioned in um, the the past episode. You know, talk about for, for individuals who are, may not be in management, you know, but you, you still can be a leader even if you don't hold the title. You know, how can they approach a relationship when they have someone that's over them or in that, in that relationship? What does that mindset uh, look like? It's a wonderful question because I think um, Eric and I have both worked with hiring companies that hire MBAs for years. And one of the big points they always say is I want somebody who's coachable. Right. And and by coachable, they mean somebody who's willing to learn within the context and the environment that we're going to put in front of them, not somebody that's just going to do what we say to do. And so I think that coachability skill, it's it's the flip side of if I'm coming in and I'm going to be coached, there's a couple of things. One, am I willing to listen? Sure, I bring a lot of skills and capabilities and I was hired on future potential in most of these types of roles. So I've got to demonstrate some things. But not everything is a judgment and not everything is an evaluation. And, and sometimes people assume that I can't be vulnerable enough to take a risk. I can't be vulnerable enough to state what I'm feeling. I can't be vulnerable enough to do some of these things. And, and to be honest, sometimes, sometimes you can, right? Like sometimes you are being judged and you have to get a sense of that. But it's not all the time like the assumption is being made. And so I think for a coachee, being willing to have a conversation with your direct supervisor, your manager, et cetera, who may or may not be into this as, as you are. Hey, I want some coaching. Well, maybe your manager's not as into it, but you could still say, hey, what would help me is understanding um, some of where I need to develop, right? And demonstrate your willingness to hear feedback that might not be pleasant to hear, right? That is one way to show that you're coachable as opposed to showing up in a defensive posture all the time or justifying why you've done things. Uh, being willing to kind of go out and try some things on your own and see how that goes and get some broader feedback from others and own some of those decisions, right? And then having somebody react to that, hey, these three things were great. And these, these things, maybe we need to change up how you thought about going about that within the organizational structure. Okay, well, that's a coachable moment. Um, but I think one of, the, one of the biggest things is the posture of a willingness to be coached. If you go in with an attitude of, I know it all, I have nothing new to learn, right? I don't, I don't have to unlearn anything either. Everything I do is always great. And that's why they hired me. Well, then your growth potential is going to be limited because you're working off of a lot of assumptions that just aren't true versus an attitude of, hey, I'm here to grow and learn. Sure, I've got a lot of skills and capabilities. That's why they hired me. I'm going to do a great job. But at the same time, I've, I've got to also maybe shape and change some of those dynamics. And that might not be just within my entry-level role. Right. What what makes me good in my entry level role, maybe something I need to shape and change as I get into management and maybe something I need to shape and change as I get into kind of enterprise level stuff. So I think it's that willingness to learn and willingness to be coached on a continual basis. That attitude is probably the biggest thing that somebody can bring to the table. And, and it goes into the idea of kind of, you know, being able to stand out, you know, and, and I want to know how can individuals who are striving for that, you know, growth within themselves, be a leader and then eventually growth for the positions and growth, 
you know, to, to get the titles and accolades and everything that usually you work your way up uh, the organization. What qualities uh, within that kind of that coachy mindset um, really help people to stand out even when their managers aren't noticing? Well, I mean, I, I got to tell you, humility, um, adaptability, the ability to handle crisis and chaos um, and tension with grace and, and not, not that you can't be emotional, but to know how to keep your emotions in check. Um, we talk a lot about the difference between responding and reacting, right? Reacting is that snap emotional thing that we do, whereas responding is taking the time to pause, reflect, and say something that you don't necessarily regret. Um, I think those kinds of skills really, really stand out. Um, I got to tell you, as someone who's done hundreds of what we would call talent development evaluations or talent assessments or succession planning conversations, um, 80, 85% of the time that we're talking about up and comers, we're talking about the intangibles, the emotional intelligence. We're not talking about their hard skills because as Ray said, man, if you're, if you're an excellent market researcher, if you're great with data, that's great as an independent contributor, but in leadership, you're not doing the work. And you're also not often checking everybody else's work, right? You're there to lead and leadership is a, it's a set of mostly intangible that we're looking for. And if you have, if you have a direct supervisor who doesn't notice those things, they're, they're just a bad leader because we see, we see it. We see the people who are calm under pressure. We see the people who are truly humble. Um, even when they, when they win, they don't brag about it. When they lose, they learn from the mistakes. Um, they listen, they grow, they, they're a positive force for others. Um, that kind of stuff is just unbelievable. It's, it's critical for a strong coaching relationship, but also just from your own ability to demonstrate your potential, those kinds of things are, are truly priceless. You know, as organizational leaders, you know, work to uh, maybe reinforce their culture in around the, the idea of relationship and really focus in on the coaching relationship and that becoming, you know, part of the DNA of, of a team and organization. You know, how can organizational leaders start defining values or what are the values uh, organizational leaders can start putting down and saying, hey, this is this is what, you know, it. It means this is what defines a successful coaching relationship. You know, these are the traits that, you know, we look for. How does an organizational coach, an organizational leader begin to uh, put tangibility so they can fit that within their culture? A couple, couple things come to mind. One would be define your own personal values first for you as a coach. What is it? What is it that is rewarded or recognized in the coaching work that would cause you to want to form a coaching relationship with some of your direct reports and recognize that value in yourself. And value is just a filter for the things I think are you know right or wrong, good or bad, right? There are these things that, that develop over time, but maybe I value strong relationships or maybe I value developing young talent or maybe I value, you know, bringing out the best in others. Like I have to recognize that first. And I think one of the reasons for that is there's a, there's a really cool piece of research that shows up in Kuzi's and Posner's leadership challenge, which is, we become more committed to our organization if we're able to recognize our own individual values, regardless of whether or not we know the organization's values, right? It becomes stronger if we know the organization's values, but we have to know our personal values first. So from a coaching perspective, 
what is it about coaching, helping somebody grow and develop their full potential that you see in a value that you believe in? I think for a coach, that's the first thing. The second thing would be for those on my team, how do I honor that same phenomenon that still exists within the research? How do I respect their need to develop and find their own values? Right. So they can find those connection points because I trust their creative, resourceful and whole. It might work with them to see what is it that could give a sense of meaning that's on their terms, not mine. Right. And can I trust in that to know that at least based upon what the research shows, if I work with them on clarifying their individual values, they are more likely to be able to find a connection with something that the organization values. Now, I have some leaders when I present this data, they push back and say, well, Ray, what if they leave? what if they leave? Like if they leave because they suddenly don't see a values connection with the organization we're both a part of, I don't think that's a bad thing. That's a good thing for them because maybe they find somewhere that those values are recognized. And it's a good thing for us because we're probably not going to have somebody who's committed to the organization. So I don't think this is something to be afraid of, but I think it starts with within this relationship, I'm going to make sure that we both understand what are our personal values Right. And how can we start to work towards those in a way that honors those for what they are? If I can do that, the research shows I'm more likely to drive organizational commitment, whether or not the person actually can recite the propaganda that's in the shared huddle. So, you know, then it, it all comes to with a relationship like this coming to table moment, because in relationships, I mean, you got you, you have times when your values align and you're everyone's marching the same page. But then you have times when the relationship is tested because you have different visions, you have different uh, people with different mindsets, different backgrounds coming together um, and having to work together. You know, so how does healthy conflict um, within this coaching relationship happen? And what are ways that organizational leaders can, um, you know, engage in this conflict to get to, you know, the heart of the issue, but but not burn the relationship in the process? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. We, we talk about this a lot and not the the answer to any one question is ever found in a book, but if some of your business leaders out there are looking for some, some insight on that one in particular, we love Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, because healthy conflict, I mean, it, the reason why paying attention to the coaching relationship is important because healthy conflict can't happen if there isn't a stable relationship in the first place. Um, there trust, there's mutual respect, when there's a culture of debating an issue and not debating the person, then conflict is healthy. And I think one of the things that we tend to preach a lot that, that also tends to create positive relationships is what we call an after action review, right? And it's a process, it might even be its own episode at some point in the future, um, but it's a process by which organizations engage, engage in active learning. Um, and you can think of it as like, a, like a, a debrief, so to speak, but a structured debrief with some very intentional questions. And if you experience healthy conflict in a coaching relationship, you can even do a quick five minute after action review to just say, hey, what did we set out to do? What actually happened? Why did it happen? Why did we experience this? What do we want to do differently next time? You know, are we good? Right. Because I, I think the thing is, um, a lot of times organizations try to avoid conflict altogether because the perception is it's always unhealthy. But if you truly have a strong relationship that has the components I described earlier, you'll actually experience conflict. In fact, some of the best coaches know how to use you know, conflict in, in, its, in its purest sense as a way to really challenge people, as a way to hold them accountable. And, you know, as a, as a coachee, 
if I know I'm not following through on my commitments, if I know I'm not delivering on my expectations, I mean, deep down, I kind of expect to get called out on that. Like I sort of expect there to be a, hey, Eric, you're not living up to what we talked about. You know, what's going on here? And I might be defensible. You know, I'm trying hard. Are you really? No, I'm not really. Like, and there is conflict there, but it's not like I don't know it's coming, right? And so I think that afterwards, as long as we're protecting that respect and we're talking about what happened and we are, in some cases, especially with some personality types, double checking that you understand this was the issue, not you as a person, but the action or lack thereof, then you can you can actually really, really drive excellence within an organization because you need that friction to get the best out of people. Um, but you've got to be tending to the relationship to allow that to happen. It may also help to say, like, where does the conflict reside, right? Does the conflict reside within the context of the coaching relationship because there's not something being delivered or a need not being met? Well, that's, a, that's within the context of the coaching relationship. To that old point of deference, if the conflict resides in a business result that kind of is just a difference in opinion or you have two people on different sides of champion roles for, for two arguments, well, then it, maybe you use the coaching skills to get there, but that conflict might not reside in that coaching. It's just a difference of opinion. So how do we teach people how to have a mature conversation about that? I think coaching is rooted in the concept of psychological safety, which Amy Edmondson has been talking about quite a bit lately and has some phenomenal resources out there. And this is what we say. How do we create a psychologically safe environment? where people are not afraid to share their opinion, even in dissent. And how can we make sure that that opinion is not belittled or done, you know, dealt with in a way that, that basically discounts their opinion? Well, that's part of a leader's role as well. So to, to Eric's point, conflict can be very healthy. In fact, it's necessary for high-performing teams, but how do we use it? Where does it reside? How do we look at it as a thing as opposed to just feeling the emotion and leaving it unchecked and then just reacting to that emotion as opposed to thinking about it as to why is this conflict here? We have a difference in opinion. Should we have a conversation about that? What does that look like? How can we deal with it in a, in a healthier manner uh, for the good of what we're trying to accomplish here? You know, as we've been wrapping up every episode, I want to ask, how do we take what we've learned today, the idea of the relationship, even elements of the coachee and the coach to set us up for our final part on the coaching process? Yeah. I mean, here's what I would say. You got a coach, you got a coachee and you got a relationship, right? Now you got to do something because otherwise it's just a friendship or a conversation. And so where we're going is what's a healthy coaching process that we can use as scaffolding or a, a, a memory tool or whatever to look through and help people as they go. So the coaching process will play into it, but the coaching process will lose almost all of its effectiveness if the relationship is not there. So in that relationship, build the trust, look for how you're going to recognize this as a coaching dynamic, which may be a multiple role that you need to play with this person as a, a leader within an organization and make sure you recognize it for what it is. It's independent of either one person, but it's definitely uh, due to the quality of it is due to how both people choose to show up. Again, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, Kelly School of Business Leadership Coaches. This is part three of our four-part series all about coaching from the coach, the coachee, this week, the coaching relationship, and finally, next week, wrapping this series up all about how do you take this home and build your coaching process for success. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. 
here on the show. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. Again, if you are wrestling with the question, if you have, if you want to jump in and be a part of this live webinar and get your questions answered, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. We'll see you next week.